0: I'm and welcome to Gunway. Well, we sure are living in exciting times, and the excitement has not died down one bit since the absolutely extraordinary decision that was rendered by the United States Supreme Court in one of the finest opinions ever authored by Justice Thomas. And as many of you are aware from last show, this, of course, has opened up the ability for New Jerseyans to finally get carry permits so that New Jerseyans no longer will be victims but can, in fact, be defenders. And that is, of course, extremely exciting and something we've all dreamed about for years and finally being made a reality. But this case... This New York State Rifle and Pistol versus Bruin case is so much more. And the more part of it is what you don't hear a lot about. And I want to fill you in on the more part. And then later in the show, I'm going to give you updates on where we're going with the carry licensing and some of the issues that have arisen as the dust settles and the bureaucracy starts to take place about how we go about actually getting this permit. But let me just say this decision is without a doubt, the most significant event in the history of the right to keep and bear arms since 1791 when the Second Amendment was ratified to the U.S. Constitution. And I am not exaggerating when I say that. And that's because this decision finally gives us a standard of review that allows for the challenge of every gun law. Look, it was super important and it was landmark when the late, great Justice Scalia authored the opinion in the Heller decision, establishing the right to keep and bear arms the Second Amendment as an individual right, something we all knew in our hearts, but finally we got the court to say it and to acknowledge it. And of course, equally important a couple years later is the McDonald case where Justice Alito in a fine, fine decision makes it clear that the Second Amendment is incorporated to the states by the 14th Amendment. And some of you may say, well, what? what is that, why did that have to happen? Well, you see, our Bill of Rights is a federal Bill of Rights, the original intent of the Bill of Rights prior to the 14th Amendment was that it was a restriction on the federal government, not on state governments. It wasn't rights guaranteed by the states. It was rights guaranteed by this new federal government that was going to be more centralized and is now replacing the old Articles of Confederation And at the time, you know, the founders were very, very concerned about having a constitution and a government where you had this centralized power. I mean, think about it. We just fought a king. We just won a revolution. We didn't want to replace the old king with a new king. We fought for our freedom and our liberty and wanted to maintain that. And really, the only reason that Hamilton was successful at the Constitutional Convention is because everybody knew that the president was going to be George Washington. And there was no man more respected throughout America than George Washington. Nobody questioned George Washington because he not only won the revolution as a general, But he was known as the great Cincinnatus, essentially. Because what that means is, after the war and winning the revolution, he could have become the king of America. He's a military winner. You win militarily in those days, you became the power. You became it. The win empowered you. And what did George Washington do? After he was the guy credited with winning The American Revolution, what did he do? He went back home to his farm. That's what he did. He didn't take power. He didn't seize power. No, he served his country and made his country an independent country and went back to his farm. It was unheard of, folks. How could a military great like George Washington, who sacrificed and risked it all, walk away from power that's great cincinnatus that's what it means that's what he did and after the revolution remember we had the articles of confederation and things just weren't working out well because the states had their powers and states weren't getting along and there's began to see this need for a national government that's much stronger and that's why that constitutional convention got put together, and George Washington was known that he would be the guy leading the country, and people could live with that. And we now got what we have to this day because of that. And so here, Washington, after you know, he served two terms, he could have stayed on till the day he died. He said, "Nope, two terms. That's it." I'm done, and established that tradition again, walking away from power. The greatness of that man cannot be overstated. It really can't be. And we wouldn't have our country, we wouldn't have what we know today, if it wasn't for George Washington. So this is what got laid out. But in this convention, there was great concern. What about our rights? What about this second amendment, uh, the, 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 not only the right to keep and bear arms, but the right to be, have privacy for uh, our homes, against searches? What about all these things that we don't want to have repeat, that we just fought a revolution over in, in our young country's days here? And so the Constitution, it was agreed that after the Constitution was ratified, that they would put forward a Bill of Rights. And in those days, when men made agreements, they stuck to them. And the agreement was for this Bill of Rights, and Madison produced it. And in 1791, what we know today as the Bill of Rights, was ratified as part of that agreement. And in that is the Second Amendment. Now, what are our rights? What are our our rights? Our rights are not given to us by a government. Sometimes people may hear, oh, what, what rights are you given in the Constitution? We're not given any rights. Those rights pre-exist. The Constitution guarantees rights. And the guarantee of rights in the Bill of Rights included a guarantee of a right to keep and bear arms. And that guarantee, for a long time, had been broken and voided by government actions. And finally, it's been addressed now. And it's been addressed in such a way where the federal government was, of course, bound by the Bill of Rights. And there were other rights as well. And you started to see, after the 14th Amendment, after the Civil War, when the newly freed slaves were being denied their rights that the Fourth Amendment right via due process was utilized by the courts to impose upon the states the rights that we find in the Bill of Rights that at first only applied to the federal government. And that's why it took right by right by right to get incorporation and to have the Supreme Court Find that these rights, each right individually as they went down, would have a case that at some point incorporated it if they chose to. Now, let me tell you right now, not every right in the Bill of Rights is incorporated to the states, not every one of them. For example, <clears throat> the right to indictment. Under federal law, you have a right to an indictment, but not under state law. And, and many states, You have a right to indictment in their state constitutions, but it's not required. And that right has not been incorporated to the states. But the First Amendment had been, and the Fourth Amendment had been. But it wasn't until Justice Alito and McDonald incorporated the Second Amendment to the state so that finally, the Second Amendment applied even to New Jersey. I know, shock of shocks, right? And now, with the application of the Second Amendment to New Jersey, you have an enforceable guarantee. Yet the question was, how do we enforce this guarantee? How is it interpreted? How is it applied? And that is what Justice Thomas did in New York State Rifle Pistol versus Bruin. The Bruin case established what is the test, and that test can be applied to every gun law in America. You see, what Judge Thomas said, let me give you some of the greatest quotes out of this case. He said, the constitutional right to bear arms in public for self-defense is not a second-class right, subject to an entirely different body of rules than the other Bill of Rights guarantees. And notice, Justice Thomas knows that they're guarantees. And he even said it in his quote. He further said that, we know of no other constitutional right that an individual may exercise only after demonstrating to government officers some special need. Boom, nailed it, right there. And so this ruling makes it clear about the issue in that case being justifiable need being dead. But you see the court through Thomas went even further because what he did was he created the standard of review. And see, since Heller and McDonald, the courts have been so hesitant and reluctant, or maybe just have an anti-gun bias, where they're trying to cut down the importance of the Second Amendment. So what emerged after Heller and McDonald, but before the Bruin case, was what The courts were using what was called a two-step framework, a two-step method to uphold gun laws even after Heller. And what Thomas said was despite the popularity of this two-step approach, it is one step too many. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. The court made it clear that the Government interests and the tests the courts have been using, for example, like the quote, intermediate scrutiny test, which is the second step of the two step approach was done really bad. They did not do good job on this. And the courts were just kind of falling back to whatever the legislature wanted to do and this was no good and and Thomas said quote if the last decade of the second amendment of second amendment litigation has taught this court anything it is that federal courts tasked with making difficult imperial judgments regarding firearm regulations under the banner of intermediate scrutiny often defer to the determinations of the legislature Thomas further said that, but while the judicial deference to legislative interest balancing is understandable and elsewhere appropriate, it is not deference that the Constitution demands here. The second amendment is a very product of an interest balancing by the people. And it surely elevates above all other interests the right of law abiding responsible citizens to use arms for self-defense. And it is this balance struck by the traditions of the American people that demands our unqualified deference. And so what the court did was, in effect, adopt what is arguably a strict scrutiny standard where the government has the burden to prove. And Thomas said, Quote, the government must then justify its regulation by demonstrating that it is consistent with the nation's historic tradition of firearm regulation. Only then may a court conclude that the individual conduct falls outside the Second Amendment's unqualified command. In other words, the Supreme Court has made it so that when a constitutional challenge is made to a gun law, the burden of proof is going to be on the state, not on the individual, in order to save the constitutionality of whatever law is being challenged, to demonstrate what is called essentially text history and tradition, and to show that this area of regulation that they're doing has been part of an American tradition to do this. In other words, basically, you're going to have to show that this was being covered in either 1791, when the second amendment was ratified or arguably in the 1860s when the 14th amendment became amended to the bill of rights and in so laying this out the court rejected the new york carry license which had been in effect folks since 1913 and that still wasn't enough tradition to satisfy the burden that needs to be met here. This is very important, and it lays the groundwork. We're going to see gun laws fall like timber, and it's just going to be great, and I can't wait to see it. And when we come back, I'm going to talk to you about the developments in New Jersey on getting those what used to be unicorns, carry permits.
1: For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. A fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman Tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law, a bright orange gun law bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite
0: podcasts. I am a lawyer. I am a lawyer. Hey folks, uh, here is the deal. Boy, it is so exciting and I'm so happy to have this voice to be able to speak to you and tell you these things that the lamestream media never wants to tell you. And we've had tremendous, tremendous increase in, in listeners and subscription, and I'm so proud and happy about that because it's free to subscribe and you get to educate yourself and you get to know about these emerging rights and just how great the Second Amendment is and its influence and the way things are changing very rapidly without being shadow banned or algorithmed to death here by some social media company with an agenda that's anti-rights none of that this is a place so please tell your friends subscribe to gun lawyer if you haven't subscribed it's very important we get the word out look it's free i don't even do advertising here i don't charge i just want the word out i want it out i want people to know because this is, this is power for you and power for all of us to have this knowledge. And I love getting letters from listeners. And I'll tell you, I had a series of letters here. And I'm gonna read them to you and I'm gonna give you some good answers here. Because this is an important topic that has been coming up. This is from Randolph. He says, thank you for keeping your fellow citizens in the know. About the uh, New York State Rifle and Pistol versus Bruin, does the SCOTUS ruling have any effect on carrying knives, tasers, et cetera, in New Jersey? Now, let me just say, on that question, it certainly does. Now, the case law itself hasn't changed yet, but I don't see how it can survive. Because currently, New Jersey's case law under Maltauvo case says that you could not preemptively arm yourself with a weapon for self-defense. Now I'm not talking about guns and handguns and being licensed, but just a blanket prohibition saying, hey, the Second Amendment under Heller and McDonald only applied to inside the home. It didn't apply to outside the home. So New Jersey says it's not a lawful purpose for you to arm yourself for self-defense for leaving the home. Well, obviously that is dead in the water because what do you think the Bruin case stands for? Carrying a firearms in public for defending yourself boop, 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 outside your home. Right. Like we've said before, the shot heard around the world at Lexington and Concord wasn't fired from a Patriot's bedroom. So it seems to me that the ability to carry tasers and stun guns and burner pistols, you know, the pepper ball shooters and all that stuff. I don't see how that can be now um, restricted in the way that it was, but we don't have a case yet saying that. And even though it seems crystal clear to me, I don't want any of you to have to be the test case. I don't think any of you want to be, but I'm sure we're going to see activity on this where the ability to just defend yourself outside the home as a manifest lawful purpose can no longer be denied by the New Jersey courts. And when we see that, then we'll know for a fact that it is what I'm believing it is. But till then, you take a risk if you do carry them. But it's something that I'm confident I could defend you on. But I think you'd rather avoid becoming a defendant until this gets uh, laid down with more Clarity and uh, specifically being addressed by the court. Now here's another letter that I have received. It says regarding carry permits. It says, "Evan, I just finished listening to episode eighty-seven, and I'm as happy as you are. Well, that's hard to that's hard to do. I got to say, but okay, I'll accept that. The questions that I have are number one. I've taken the NRA basic." Pistol safety course with NRA personal protection inside the home and personal protection outside the home courses. Are these adequate for CCW in New Jersey? And two, I'm already an NRA certified instructor. Am I qualified at, mentions his sportsman's association, where I'm a member, will I be able to certify myself as well as others? Or will I have to go to another facility? I have another letter that is similar questions and it says uh, hi Evan thanks for great commentary as a member of law shield and as an attender of many of your presentations as well as a fellow uh, gun club member I appreciate your work I'm excited to apply for my CCW and I am asking a question with regard to this in your podcast PTC type equivalent course and then you have to submit your recent handgun qualification scores Utilizing the handgun you intend to carry, it is by test firing. There has to be a certified instructor. It can even be a certified instructor of the NRA. NRA certified instructors, can do the certification. And I have one more letter, and we're going to deal with this topic, just so you can see the interest here. This is from Will regarding New Jersey carry permits. Evan, love the show. I've taken a few of your classes, and they have been very informative. Understanding I still need to shoot qualification with my carry gun, Will an NRA basic pistol qualify for educational requirements for New Jersey carry? I'm an NRA pistol rifle shotgun instructor. Thanks for your time. So these are all about the training requirement. Because in New Jersey, justifiable need is no longer a factor, as you are well aware. And so what's left with is that your background check, character, all that, you know, you're not subject to any of the disqualifiers that you basically are Lawful to purchase and possess a firearm in New Jersey. And then the second leg of the remaining requirements is that you are thoroughly familiar with the safe handling and use of handguns. Now, let me give you the specifics on this to the degree we know. Now, this is still evolving, and there's still a lot out there as to where this may actually end up. But the absolute point of declaration where it's listed by the government and proclaimed can be found in the NJ Administrative Code. Because in the statute, in the New Jersey statutes, there's no explanation of what thoroughly familiar with the safe handling and use of handguns means. And it has been expanded by way of the administrative agency to define that by way of promulgating an administrative code provision on that very point and this is what it was prior to the bruin decision and it's still at this moment the current admin code and you can find it under nj admin code 13 54- 2.4 and you can also find reference to this in the article I wrote called how to get your carry permit in New Jersey and you can go to that article which is at my website at www.evannappen.com check out my website there's updates I'm even updating the carry uh, article I wrote as news comes in so you can track it there I have, by the way, for any of you that have my book, the New Jersey Gun Law Book, the big orange book that's over five hundred pages and explains 120 topics in question and answer format. Literally the Bible of New Jersey gun law. Free updates to that book are there at my website at evannappen.com. Free. I am if you buy my book, I am doing free updates to that book till Murphy is out of office. So get the book. And then you get the updates and stay current. So check it out on my website. I'll shamelessly plug that on my show. Because you know why? It can help all of you. I want you to be educated and I want you to be protected. And that's where you can go. So, looking at this New Jersey administrative code, it says, "Thoroughly Thorough fam- familiarity with the safe handling and use of handguns shall be evidenced by... And then it's colon, and then it says one, completion of a firearms training course substantially equivalent to the firearms training approved by the Police Training Commission as described under NJSA 2C396J. And that is known as the PTC training, and that's what law enforcement goes through when they are certified, they are certified by PTC. So it needs to be PTC or substantially equivalent. And at the end of number one, there's a colon, and then it says two, submission of the applicant's most recent handgun qualification scores, utilizing handguns he or she intends to carry as evidenced by test firings Administered by a certified firearm instructor of a police academy, a certified firearm structure of the National Rifle Association, or any other recognized certified firearms instructor, then it's semicolon or the word or is in there or three. Passage of any test in this state's laws governing the use of force administered by a certified instructor of a police academy, a certified instructor of the National Rifle Association, or any other recognized certified instructor. So when you see this as one, two, three, and then you see semicolon after one, Semicolon and or after two, and then the third, that would normally be interpreted as any one of those things should be satisfactory proof. And yet, it's still not crystal clear. Although the way you interpret things is the semicolon separates the different paragraphs as well as the numbers. And the word or is there not the word and it's the word or so on its face it does appear that handgun qualification and it's evidenced by the scores done by an NRA certified instructor should cut it but it's not crystal clear and there's much debate and argument And so plainly, if you take a firearms training course, that's the equivalent of PTC, you shoot the required course of fire and do so with the correct scores. And then you have some type of a test, which is done even in the NRA personal protection outside the home, but a test that shows that you're... Uh, tested on the state's laws governing the use of force, then obviously what you do is you've met all three. You've qualified for sure on all three. Now this is what the code says, yet I've had cases where individuals have qualified and still evidenced it by only one or more or none, but still shown how great a, a shot they are and rely on so, Because... If this certifications, if what you're submitting is rejected, then you have the ability to appeal it, and then you're going to make the argument that you've met it. And, of course, the state's going to say, well, here's what the code says, and we're going to say, well, here's what the statute says, and we're going to present that you're thoroughly familiar with the safe handling of fires. And can these arguments be made? Yes, they can. But I don't think, again, you wanna get denied. I don't think you wanna have to fight it out. And I've had clients that have fought it out. But you'd rather just have it go through and all be good. I get that, and it makes sense. So the more thoroughly you cover what is in the admin code with the qualifications that you're submitting, and let me give you a tip, let me give you a trick. The state police have put a website, they have a website listing, Training facilities, they just posted this. With training facilities to be able to certify you as required. And they're all listed on the state police. So if you go to a state police listed facility and you get the qualifications through the trainers there, then it seems to me to be highly unlikely that you're going to get denied when you submit your application, when they see that you've been qualified by an authority that has been put on the New Jersey State Police website as a recommendation for a place you can go to get such certifications. So that's a trick and technique right there. Now, I know there's a lot of folks that are certified NRA instructors and They're not on the state police list. Well, first of all, wherever you're instructing, you should try to get on that state police list. Add credibility and credentials to what you do. And individuals that are gonna submit here, you wanna ensure that you don't have problems. And the surest way is to meet what I just laid out for you instead of trying to get by with something less. And now with the state police putting out places that they're viewing as acceptable, That's going to credential it right back to help you on your application. So this is all in an evolution now. This is all growing. This is all taking shape and we're starting to see these things. And I think a real good indication here is the state police actually listing training facilities. The state police also added that you get your fingerprints done electronically. You have to go to that Morpho, you got to get it done electronically, that's part of it. Currently you can download the application online, but I understand that you'll soon be able to apply online. In the same way that we apply online for a firearms ID card or pistol purchase permit. So these are exciting developments, this is where we're at currently. Things still are settling down, settling in, etc. It's still a fluid situation to a certain degree. But here at Gun Lawyer, we're going to keep you as informed and as up to date as we can. And uh, this is Evan Knappen reminding you that gun laws do not protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens.
1: listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen available wherever you get your favorite podcasts